Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in Season 10. Our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my god, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Underworld Blood Wars is over, and we wreak of canine insolence. 
The Vampire and Lycan clans had been at war for centuries. Turning our world into a battlefield. For me, the fight is personal. Everyone I've ever loved has been hunted down. Now a new war is being waged. Celine, the Lycans are moving again. They have a new leader, Marius. I'm finished with this war. Well, it's not finished with you. He wants the blood of you and your daughter. Even I don't know where she is. I need you to deliver a message. Tell your Marius I'm coming for him. Do you understand your message? We need Selim to end the war. She cannot be trusted. She is the purest of us all. She is the key to the futures of lichens and vampires. And when we have the blood of Celine and her daughter, we will be invincible. I will be more powerful than any vampire in this coven. You must help me protect her. You must go north. You will find answers there. If you want to win this war, you will need to go further than even a warrior of your renown has ever ventured before. Andy, it, it's number five. We just did number, number five. Number five is alive, Pete. Yeah, we made five it. Five is alive. This was it. This was the last one. We made it through Underworld. We did the whole thing. But just in case they keep making these movies, where would you like <laughs> people to go to, to be the first to know when Celine is back with her PVC? You know, I'm glad you asked, Pete. The best place for people to go, because inevitably, Pete, let me just tell you something. We have been doing this podcast for a while, and now we have member bonus episodes, right? Where oh, members yeah. of our show can actually get extra episodes about movies that aren't released to the public. Well, the movies released to the public. Our episodes are not released to the public. They're released to members <laughs> only. And generally, they are us looking back at a, fran at a series that we have done in the past, and we are filling in a gap in that particular series. So if people want to learn about memberships, because just in case Underworld 6 comes out, Pete, and they want to hear it, it likely will be heard as a member's bonus episode. So you just head over to thenextreel.com slash membership, and you can learn all about joining the team and becoming a part for as little as a dollar a month. That's right very little so easy place to sign up just head over to the nextreel.com slash membership so we have talked a lot about underworld Underoos. yeah yes we have uh, underworldia. We yeah. have determined that this whole thing is actually underworldia. We have. That's where this whole and, thing takes place. Uh, that's right. Underworldia it takes place mm -hmm. in underworldia. Yeah, the the giant single continent. The pan. It's the pan Pangea, <laughs> the pangetic continent Pangea, of underworldia. Right. This is actually yeah. right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we've talked about a, a lot of it, but you know who has a little bit of a connection to it in some interesting way is one of our fellow hosts on the next real uh, podcasts. Who, who is it? Who is it? 
Who Kyle, Kyle Olson, say it's ain't so. Kyle Olson, Kyle, yes. are you here? I am here as well. Kyle. He is here. And, and we are going to chat with him about Underworld. That's true, because uh, when you guys announced you were doing the Underworld series, I said, that's very interesting because I have a very close personal connection to the first film. Uh, and I said, it's a small story, but would you like to hear it? And they both said, eh. I said, please, <laughs> please, please I've been wanting to tell the story for so long. <laughs> and I said, fine. Well, and we should set the stage. We have not heard the story yet. We've talked no, about no. the story. We don't you know, even actually, know if I've it's never actually, I've never actually told this story publicly before because I was worried because there's legal ramifications, but it turns out out i'm in the clear you so actually had to cool. verify it somebody I you did. called a, your attorney did you check your uh, local no jurisdiction? I, I, I checked statute of limitations and i'm okay uh, <laughs> oh, it was 2003 i'd like to think yeah. that things yeah, are clear so nobody, we're good do you think yeah, right. i think maybe they all listen to this podcast so i'm glad you checked well you know <laughs> yeah, it we might have not be so contingent bad, though, in the lawyers because it might be kate beckinsale coming after you in her <gasps> pvc outfit oh i would not mind that at all might be okay. All right. Might be okay. So what happened right. to you in uh in 2003? So so let let let's set the scene. So this is this is the late 90s. So as we're having um this sort of renaissance with Dungeons and Dragons right now, uh which is justified and I'm glad everybody's out there playing it again. Uh in the late 90s role playing was huge, but Dungeons and Dragons was not. It was really on the outs. The big game then was Vampire. So there was a a, yes. a group called White Wolf Games that created a, a game called uh, called Vampire the Masquerade. And it was huge because what it did is is crossover from the sort of the the stat monitoring thing of D D, the, the very like the charts and that and they they actually got in the goth kids and the theater majors and that stuff because their system was you weren't a dungeon master you were a storyteller and everyone else were players and so it it was a little more more improv base where you were like supposed to be your characters and, and act things out and the dice were just there to settle disputes if you had you still had your stats and you still had your you know thing and you and but it was a it was a uh, more of an acting exercise because when you were a vampire you were supposed to feel the existential pain of watching those you love die and and trying to keep the monster inside you under control and retain that piece of humanity i can't i can't uh, i mean i remember this i can't quite remember how like it was it was bigger than probably my memory serves like there were weren't there like books and a tv show and like the whole works yeah yeah i mean the whole thing from this it actually they they went on they they created multiple editions so like and then from vampire then was they they it was always something the something so it was werewolf the apocalypse it was then when you were a ghost it was wraith the oblivion that was their (laughs) Their, their, wow. their their thing and i mean the, it got bigger and bigger you could play by the end of it you could play as a as a fae with like a, like a like essentially like a fairy yeah. or a mummy or you know, like you could be a hunter who hunted all the rest of these i mean like they really went i went full bore and it was huge like you say uh it actually went to um Aaron, television Aaron show. There was a show Aaron it spelling. was a spelling right. show uh, kindred Holy the God. embrace kindred the embrace yes. that's right uh actually it ran like nine episodes in the 90210 period it was white hot I have a small anecdote about that as well because uh, this is this is a little bit uh, because the, the, well I will say I can I can tell you about that when I when I get into the rest of the story. So I was huge into these games. I I, I played. I you know I had a, my characters that I would do all the time and 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 with friends and stuff too. And so then when I graduated college. One of my friends uh, was a computer genius, Jason. Uh, I, unfortunately, I've lost track with him. Right? I'd like to have him, you know, do his side, his part of the story. But uh, he uh, got an internship for a computer company in Atlanta, and I was like, 
hey, White Wolf Studios is in Atlanta. They're the mm-hmm. guys who do that. And so I like started writing to White Wolf and I found out they had an internship program. So I'm like, hey, man, if you move to Atlanta for this job, I'll come down there, too, and, you know, to get an internship and join White Wolf. And so we went down. We took a trip just to check things out. And I got an interview at White Wolf. And I got to go into the studio and, like, see all the guys who wrote and the artists and, and stuff that made these fantastic games. I got along well with everybody. So I was like, this is doing pretty good. So then uh, over the course of, like, two years, this was, like, 98, 99, I was an intern for White Wolf Studios. Uh, if you sent any fan mail in, it was probably me that was answering it because, you know, <laughs> nice. free labor. Uh, I got to write a little stuff. So I, I have my name in a couple different books. And then uh, I, what I wanted to be was a writer. So I, uh, from that internship time, I sort of like then parlayed that into writing gigs for them for a while. Uh, and so I helped write uh, the revised. So they, they had the first edition of, of Vampire and Werewolf and all this thing. Then they had the second edition. And then when the third edition was coming out, it was called Revised. So that was what I worked on was the, was the revised version. And I helped write Werewolf the Rise. And I say helped very very small because i was an intern they're like i don't want to write these boring rule stuff you write that oh, okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whatever you, you say do. like yeah. Yeah. And, and flavor text and that kind of stuff like just little bits along the way but my name is in the book yeah it still is so if you go to i think you'll have to go to drive through rpg right now it's the only way you can find those books That's anymore amazing. um I, I i can like at some point i can give you my my very very small lexicon of things that i contributed <laughs> to so but i but i helped you and i was you know this was part of it so i moved away and then you know life continues on and you know I got different jobs and I met, met my wife and we got married. And so I sort of had moved on from all that stuff. Uh, and I mean, I was still a fan, but I wasn't role playing anymore. I wasn't when you move away from a, a small sort of location based thing like that, they kind of forget about you. So I wasn't emailing them. They weren't emailing me. It was fine. Uh, but then uh, one day I had, there was a knock on my door and they said they had a package for me. And I was like, oh, all right, fun. You touched so go it. Down. You took it from them. I go down. I open it. And they, yeah, so they hand me an envelope. And I was like, great. And they're like, you've been, you've served. been served. And I was like, <gasps> That's, oh. They say that in like, life, too. And they're like, bye. And they walk <laughs> away. And I was like, oh, what happened? So I pulled it out. And so what it turns out is White Wolf Studios had sued Sony Pictures Entertainment for their film Underworld because they're saying that the elements of Underworld were stolen from Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf, especially. And that was where my name came in because I had my name was as part of it. So I had to then go through all my archives. And this is like 3.5 inch discs. Like this wasn't like I just go into Google Docs and do. I'm like, no, like I have this stuff somewhere. But let me find a drive I can. And then I had to produce all the stuff I had written for them and send it all into it. So if you watch, if you're a fan of the World of Darkness, which is what the whole thing was called, uh, like still, as I say, it's still around. Uh, they've had some they've had some their own ups and downs, but um, <laughs> you can see that there are very, very clear things, not only like cool vampires and leather, you know, running around and shooting things, which is part of Vampire the Masquerade, but also the fact that they're the unholy alliance between a vampire and a werewolf is called an abomination. And in Underworld, they literally say, he's an abomination. Yeah. I was like, okay, hold on. <laughs> like, there's a lot of words in the uh, so many words. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so all of my fa- friends who were into into World of Darkness were like, Okay, come on. So uh, apparently, I, I checked into it just to see what, and so that was 
the end of my thing, I, I thought I, I called some people that I, I still knew there was like, what's going on? And they, they told me uh, uh, that. And so what happens is basically I Sony wrote them a big fat check. And so somebody wrote uh, quite generally how these uh, things yeah. are resolved. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so it, it went away. So, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure that that had been resolved to make sure I was allowed to talk yeah. about it because I was you know part of the lawsuit. None of that uh, but, sweet, sweet money made it your way, I'm sure. No, <laughs> but luckily none of that, none of that uh, you know, uh, legal yeah. action came my way sure, either. Sure, sure. <laughs> Uh, so the one small thing I had learned about uh, the thing is uh, I was asking about Kindred the Embrace because it had come and gone by the, before I actually started there. So you didn't and get so to I was meet like, what happened? How? I did not. <laughs> no, but I asked about it because I asked some of the guys because the same guys who were there had been there since the beginning, uh, had had written you know, for, for some of the original and were around and involved with that. And they said – I said, how did that work out? And why wasn't there any more? And they said, well, <laughs> and I said, well, like, why isn't there any more? Like after that, like how come we haven't seen anything since then? And they said, well, so the guys, and I'm not sure who it was, but like there's a couple of people who were running White Wolf at the time. I don't want to name any names because this is a secondhand story. They went to Hollywood because Aaron Sorkin had heard about this. I mean, I'm sorry, Aaron Spelling had heard about this and summoned them and basically like, hey, I want to do something. And so they went out there like, oh boy, Aaron Spelling, this guy's a big deal. He's going to make a show. And he sat down and said, look, I love the, the vampires and I, I, we can we take the, the soap elements of like Melrose Place and 90210 and we add vampires and monsters. It's going to be great. It's going to be an amazing show. And they're like, oh, great. He's like, all right. So you guys want to do a deal? All right. Just have your lawyers call mine. And they're like, lawyers? <laughs> yeah. You know, your entertainment lawyers, like your, your, your agents, your reps, just have them talk to me. And they went, oh, we don't we don't have entertainment lawyers. He's like, oh, you should use mine. Great. And they went. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And so they did. It works and out so, well for everybody. Yeah, it's so right now. So, so the, when the deal came down, uh, Aaron Spelling owns World of Darkness in perpetuity. <gasps> <laughs> that means he's dead and he still owns the World of Darkness on all television and movie projects. Ugh. Wow. But however, what I, the 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 happy ending to that story is uh, because uh, he owns that what was at the time. So they rebooted the World of Darkness, and that got out of that particular clause. So now that you're seeing other stuff, going, there's video games that are out right now. I think the. There's there's been a lot of like buying back and forth of the properties, so it's it, World of Darkness <laughs> is still very much valid and still out there, and I, I still have uh, uh, friends of mine who who worked on it uh, and who are working on it still. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun little uh, danger of Hollywood story. That's so. fantastic. And you can actually watch Kindred the Embrace right now on YouTube. Suburban Vampire oh, just so posted I, I it two DVD months set. ago. <laughs> nice. Like, people, I have a DVD set if anyone wants to buy it. Right. 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 Nice. Don't worry. Just I'll it's pass a, it around. <laughs> if you're like a, a person who would read the books, it's an interesting version of the story. It's like, you know, they, they, they make some minor alter, alterations where you kind of go, Huh, okay. So Funny. all right, so given all that, what's your take on uh, Underworldia as uh, as a universe? And have you seen all five? Uh, like did, did uh, they... I have the the one you're about to do the Rise uh, of the, Lycan, the flashback. Right? Rise of Lycan, that is the one I have not seen. Uh, oh. I I I'm a, I guess I'm a more of a Kate Beckinsale fan than I am of an Underworld fan. Uh, but I I've seen them all. I think it's a bit of diminishing returns. It's the 
Um, opposite of Mission Impossible, where like Mission Impossible get better every time. Yeah. <laughs> Underworld tends to did, follow did you the usual find, though, getting as it went on, like after that lawsuit happened, did you go, well, they stopped <laughs> they stopped with all the stealing of things. Like there wasn't they didn't bring up abominations oh, well, anymore. Original ideas. <laughs> I mean, obviously we're still talking about vampires and werewolves. Yeah, so sure. originality. Sure. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Like that's ultimately where we came down beyond. to. Like it, you know, it, it's like they stopped trying to come up with anything really original original too like each yeah. movie is subsequently the same just like why introduce new concepts right yeah right people right. just want to see you know cool pale people in black leather shooting uh stuntmen in really hairy suits yeah that's that's underworld and stunt woman and so that's that's true. by the time we Basically, got to the end we, we got, got we a got stunt woman. finally represent we did it yeah. <laughs> not exactly a me too friendly <laughs> no. yeah that's a well, awesome. uh, well that's a great terrible story kyle well thank you, yeah. thank you. well done I'm glad we got to hear it i'm glad the world finally gets to know right the that's world right. finally gets to know that people were like when are you gonna tell that amazing world of darkness story well because i think everybody knows when you say what do you know about kyle olson you say well his life does serve as a warning for others so <laughs> that's why we do this yeah, for and the that, people. And i was i was told uh, that i could talk about all my uh my my vampire characters but now it seems like we're out of time <laughs> oh, so i don't no. have time to tell you about oh, my character well, long history. <laughs> there was time travel involved <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for indulging me. Andy, number five. Oh, boy. Are you relieved? Do you stand We've relieved? We've hit the end of this franchise. I don't know if um, I, I suppose I'm relieved to be done and through with them all. I, but honestly, I mean, I've had a fun time. You know, they're fun enough. They're easy watches. I, nothing really tried me, uh, tried my patience. And so I, I feel like, you know, if there was another one, I'd be fine watching it too. But hitting number five, I'm like, I'm also fine if I stop right now. <laughs> That's about where I am. <laughs> fine. I'm fine now. I'm fine right now with exactly as things are. I, I'm with you. I, I had a really good time. And I, I know that there are people out here. I've just been sort of reading a catalog of YouTube reviews uh, or of um, letterbox reviews of people who uh, really did not have a good time with this series. And I wonder what I, I wonder why I see them so differently uh, as these movies so differently as some people who whose opinions normally I I trust and jive with. And um, but for me, I, I think this this whole series kind of allows me to unleash uh, just that uh, a weird, um, a, a weird inner child. He comes out of the closet under the <laughs> stairs and and has a good time with just this over the top soap opera violence and vampires and werewolves. It's all fine. There's some stuff which of course in this movie we also will be talking about that is supremely silly uh and uh only here do those things start to come out. When I just turn on the movie, I I generally can can get through it and and be pretty excited about it. So so here we are at number five, and I have been alluding to this because for some reason, this feels like G.I. Joe to me. <laughs> let me let me explain. Um, so you know how when you used to get your G.I. Joe uh, character, you, you were a G.I. Joe guy, right? Um, in what context? The you shows, the, the, toys, the toys, the, the toys, the action figures. I was less the action figures, more of uh, the cartoon. Well, you know how if if you get the action figures, there was always an option to you'd get the regular action figure and then you'd get like the snow version of the action figure oh, sure. where they all have yeah. coats on and same yep. same thing with Star Wars too, right? You'd have Luke and then you'd have 
Jedi Luke and you'd have Empire Luke and he'd have his blue suit on and Han Solo, he'd have the blue jacket on and he'd be like, you'd get all the different versions. Same thing with, I mean, any action yeah. figure from any franchise, right? They always, and that's why I think they always are changing it up in the movies because like Spider-Man, oh, now we need this version yeah. of Spider-Man. Now Just we need wait. this version of Iron Man. Miles yeah. Morales now. We get yeah. all the variants of Miles Morales. Okay, so that's what this feels like to me. We get Snow Celine. And all the Arctic vampires, and I'm here for it. I think it's a fun <laughs> variant of uh, in this universe, and for just just a, just a little bit a sousson. They change the look and general texture of parts of this movie in a way that I think works for it, and they should have done long ago. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I can agree with a lot of that. I do. I feel like this still falls into the realm. Oh, man, that well, (laughs) just just peed all over me is what you did. (laughs) No, no. I mean, I I agree with you. I, I do. But I do feel like this is a franchise where they haven't fully learned their lessons of solidly figuring out their stories and what their own world is and the rules of the world. And they haven't quite figured out how to handle a lot of the elements of the look and everything. And I feel like even though they are changing things up and doing some more interesting things, a lot of it feels, you know, we're still running into these constant issues that the franchise just has because they've established so many issues from the start. And so I agree with you that it's great to see them finally doing a few little things to change things up. I, I wish that they were doing more, though, and I wish they were tightening things up, too. I, I, I'm i absolutely in agreement with you. I think all I'm really suggesting, and I think we're on the same page, we're, we're in violent agreement, is that it's about time. And where was this three movies ago, four movies ago? Because that's where, where I think we're, we get lost. You are absolutely right. This movie comes with Eight hours of baggage behind it, of missed opportunities, crazy design choices, crazy rule breaking, and all of that. And I don't think this movie is ultimately enough uh, in in sort of a redemptive capacity to make up for the cost that that we endured over some of the nonsense before. Well, and at this point, I do feel like we just have to take it for what it is, right? I mean, this is the end of the franchise. This is where this is what they've given to us. And so this is what we have. I think that it's different when you look at something like, let's just look at the Alien franchise for a moment. That film started off with one director and a a genre that they created and did very well. When James Cameron came on to do the second one, he wrote it and changed it. So it was a little less. it, It looked very similar, but it was a little less horror and haunted house kind of in the spaceship, more the action, you know, military feel that we have in that one. And he also shifted it up to kind of create a new, a new baddie by giving us the alien queen. And that's kind of became a, a good way of modifying franchises. So you, even if it kept some of the look, you were still changing things enough to allow for new things to come in. And then um, introducing some big new change also. I think that was a critical thing. And I feel like this film, because the franchise started after, and I think this is a critical point, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, that that really kind of created this trilogy of films that really is one giant story. 
And so it all looks the same. It looks like you could watch them back to back to back, and it's just one long 12-hour movie. And it's tied together that way. And I feel like they really, and maybe what we want is for them to have gone the alien direction where each film ends up feeling like it's having its own sense and, and with the changes and everything that they're introducing. But what they also have done is very forcibly connected at least these first the first two and the last two films uh directly like back to back with each other so it really is a lord of the rings type of just one big story spread out over 12 years and with a flashback um and so i i think that's the problem is that it 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 uh it it sets itself up like they're wanting to make some big changes in the scope of the story but it's not giving us anything that's that new or exciting along with it. And so it just, because like we get to the second film, Evolution, it's like, okay, but where's the evolution? What's the big, new, exciting thing? You know, there wasn't anything. I mean, we had the bat guy, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and we had William, the giant wolf, but we didn't have, uh, you know, the promised evolution other than Celine can go in the sunlight now. And the fourth film, when we get to that, I liked that we went into the future 12 years, but it also felt exactly the same. Like there was nothing in that world that said, this is the future. There's a lot of interesting new things going on in this world. It There wasn't. It was exactly the same as the second film. It's exactly the same. And look at this movie. The, the, the big threat in this movie is that they still have bullets with infrared, you know, or in uh, the ultraviolet yeah, right. light yeah. in the shells. Like that, they introduced yeah. that in movie one. Like there is there is no evolution of the the general threat of violence of werewolves against vampires like that's just except a tracking bullet that oh, has God. a life of its okay. own and burrows itself around in your body. That was OK. What are they trying to do there? It felt very strange. It was it, it reminded me of the intention of the Matrix uh, nightmare scene with the mouthless nightmare scene where he gets injected with the little spidery thing. Yeah, uh, that was that was a tough watch. And that's like a tracking element in the stomach. It's the same kind of a thing. So that worked. And this didn't for me as much. Uh, this was just like a steam, a steampunk drill. <laughs> it did not work. It, and because what is it? Is it is it a weapon that's meant to burrow around in your body so that you can't heal? And so uh, I thought, okay, that's actually kind of interesting, right? It kind of is this perma destructive force that's now constantly yeah, hurting cool. you in an in a creature that can otherwise heal itself. Or is it a tracking device, right? Because if it's constantly hurting you and it's inside your body, you're going to know that that's you need exactly to take it out. Right. So what's the effectiveness of a tracking <laughs> exactly device? Right. They knew immediately that it was inside and that it was yeah. some sort of a strange foreign substance. So they designed a tracking device that demanded the person actually have to take it out of them if they want to live. It's so, that's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's it really the height was. of dumb. It really was. You know, before we dig into more of that, we have plenty of individual points to go through on this movie. But do, does it feel like we're finished? Well, and that's a big problem, right? It doesn't feel like it. it's finished. In fact, it leaves the film feeling like they're setting us up for a sixth film, which, uh, according to people involved, we're never going to get. Or if we do, it's going to be without Kate Beckinsale. That's kind of where things seem to be sitting. And so it feels like, I don't know, it feels like a franchise that's that they just want to keep running with. And 
they're, I, I don't know. I, I, as I watch these, I feel like they're going to keep making the next one designed to feel like there's another one coming as long as they can, because they're always going to be hoping for more money to make another one. Cause it's a, you know, it's a money-making franchise. It, it is a money-making franchise. It wouldn't be the worst thing to throw another underworld. They have, they've established, I think it, my, my sort of overall assessment of of all five films is that is that they hit a general level of quality that might be in that sort of one and a half to two and a half stars, just low middling to fair, right? They're not great action films, but they have enough elements in each of them to make you curious about what they're going to do next. Yeah, right. Uh, and And that might be enough to sustain another movie or two it might be enough it might be enough to bring us the daughter as she miraculously ages because that's what they do in these movies um, <laughs> exactly I, you know there are I, I think there's there's headroom on this movie to tell some more stories and i think that's fascinating i'd be interested to see what happens with it but right now um this movie um it, it i'm with you it does not feel like a, a finale it doesn't feel like the end and i think that's unfortunate i do want to go back it brings me back to your comment about the lord of the rings versus aliens i think this movie demanded and the series demanded more of an aliens approach where they explore the universe using different genre conventions to kind of give shake it up and as a result five movies all the same it it's it gets exhausting it gets exhausting this is a hard series to binge <laughs> uh, without without getting getting a, a little uh, snooze in there every now and again, it's it's a hard series to binge in the fashion we did, where we're also like really digging deep into each of them. Like I I would hate to do this franchise in a minute by minute fashion. I just don't. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Oh my god! But what? I <laughs> but I like if I just watched these and had them on and just like it was just kind of a background noise sort of thing where I was just laying around watching them. I don't think it would be a hard watch. I you know I I and I could e easily get up and go do something else and not feel too worried about having I, missed something. I also don't think filmmakers make movies to be played just in the background of your attention. They don't. They That's don't. A, probably you could count that as a failure of the franchise. It is. It, it is. Certainly. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's a fun enough franchise. Um, it, I don't know. I, I can see why people enjoy it. I, I definitely think it's an enjoyable mm -hmm. franchise. I just find that when you think about it too much, it's just full of problems. I would also just like to say, why is this the film, <laughs> this fifth film, where they finally give us a female lichen Ugh. and one, do nothing with her? I don't even know if we ever see her actually transform. She's just kind of in the group when they're all chatting. Yeah. I don't recall ever seeing her when it comes down to any of the wars. And it's it's like, why why did it take them that long to give us that and then not really give us anything with it? It was a very disappointing uh, addition to this, I agree with bit. that. Although I think you you do see her transform in the in the melee in the castle at the end. Um, oh, we do. Okay. We do see her transform, and that of course is it. Because once she transforms yeah. into a werewolf, this isn't like Underworld Me Too. This is Underworld Token, and that she's just <laughs> she's now a CG character. And so that was that was unfortunate. It it doesn't feel like suddenly when they introduce little elements like that, it it feels less like a well-fleshed-out universe uh, because now, you know, uh, tokenism plays in and you're aware of the fact that <laughs> there were just male werewolves the entire yeah. time. I also want to bring up the fact that for a franchise that has as its middle film 
a backstory that really kind of gives us the look at the world from the Lycan's point of view and how hard their life was and how awful the vampires are. I mean, that's what it's so weird that all these other films really make the Lycan's the bad guys when the Lycan's are the ones who had been the slaves and they revolted. And now it's like, why are they still bad then? And that's what I was really hoping with that in the middle, that by the time we got to this film, that there would be some semblance of trying to find a way to get everyone to come together, not just a big battle. In fact, we and we even seem like we're going that route, right? Because we have this new Lycan leader, Marius, who secretly is in love with a vampire. And I'm like, okay, so there's, are we going to move that route where, you know, those two who are trying to get Celine to get to Eve... Are they going to, is there going to be something that transforms this story that allows like a finale to actually come and bring lichens and vampires together? And I I was a little excited for a while with this film and then largely disappointed when (laughs) the vampire and Marius were both just trying to kill Celine. And I'm like, well, why are we not all working together by this point? I know that that part was terrible. And, And plus they gave us, it was essentially another Romeo and Juliet story, which is where we started with this series five movies ago. And I'm kind of uh, I was done with it like we've we've moved on from that experience and I didn't need it again uh and I I think Marius is sort of he he comes across as the labor leader you know yeah. he's the great yeah. union organizer of the werewolves and uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting take on it and I think this is another opportunity of or or another example another example of uh defeat snatched from the jaws of victory Right. Where they had they actually put some of the pieces in play in this movie that could have been fascinating and just didn't execute on it. They just didn't didn't answer the questions that they were posing. And I, I found myself really frustrated by that. How'd you how'd you feel about the the uh, lore? Any updates to lore, breaking of lore, any more any new rules that we had to learn that were interesting to you? You had mentioned this before because, as you said, these all end up blending together. But the lichens, they kind of can do like these half transformations now, which is kind of interesting, I suppose. Yeah. Again, yeah. I and I'm like, we, we see the moon also in this film. Doesn't seem to relate to anybody. It's just there. <laughs> <laughs> the lichens can still control their transformations even if it's just halfway it's just strange i really strange. liked his hand change i thought that was cool i was frustrated that they didn't figure that out until the fifth movie because these movies take place just kind of so close together that it didn't feel like now there's anything special about him being able to do that because uh, they all kind of half transform from you know we, we see one half transform in the first six minutes of the movie so I, I just felt kind of crazy. The one thing that they did, interestingly, I don't know if they were making a conscious point about this, but in the opening sequence, right, where here we are, after the extraordinary recap, the four-minute recap that we have of the movie, <laughs> this, is, this is a great observation. I, I think if you don't want to watch all five movies, don't worry, just watch this one because that recap covers everything you need to care about to be able to see where you go. That is a, a real benefit of this movie. I, I don't think they intended it to be used as as we're recommending but the opening sequence the motorcycle chase she it things are different right normally in the last four movies she's been a vampire all the time and her wits and will and strength and all of her uh all of her abilities they're with her all the time unless she's drugged or something right unless she's unconscious in this first sequence 
she's captured. I don't know if she's she's being chased by a bunch of motorcycle lichens, a new a new breed of lichen, the motorcycle lichen. <laughs> and she's cornered in a tunnel construction scene. I don't know if she's luring them into the tunnel or what, but there is a moment where she's beaten. She's they shot with like rope harnesses right rope yeah arrows, it's kinda, like a, i mean it's basically like what they did to william in the third yeah, second film yeah right 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 they, they've like shot bolts through her arms and are holding her spread and yeah planning on and beating the and, and hell beating out her. of her and so she's on her knees and she does this this thing where she looks up and there is a sound element and then her eyes turn blue as if now she's a vampire. It's the it's the vampire equivalent of hulking out, right? Of like getting so angry, you won't like me when I'm angry. Now I'm a vampire. That's what we get here. And that was that's a totally new element that suddenly there is a transformation that they have to go through when they're in, is it in though? battle. I feel like we've had that from the beginning because really? oftentimes and this and it's something that's very subtle and to a certain extent leads to confusion on my part is it, because is it possibly it seems not like, very good is that what you're trying to say yeah. <laughs> that's impossibly they because they don't always have their vampire teeth either and sometimes it's like when they get angry all of a sudden they're like ah they flare up and their teeth pop out and their eyes change colors and i felt like craven's girlfriend did it in the first film and i i felt like it had happened at another point as well uh, or i think it's happened a number of times with different vampires when they get angry with each other but it's a, it's like a tooth thing and but i'm trying to remember if i've seen the eyes do that i feel like i did though yeah maybe that was what i'm noticing it just feels like she was because the vampires she's always strong and fast whether her teeth are out or not in this sequence she was like letting herself get caught or something and then hiding her ability somehow and then hulk out yeah. vamp out i didn't care for it that's all i'm trying yeah, to say yeah it was a little a little troublesome it doesn't help that that sequence was edited poorly to begin with what you the, wanted to pull, you want to pull that apart what was going on with that sequence well it's just it was odd right it starts off with this motorcycle chase and then she goes into this tunnel and we don't ever see the capture or anything we just hear some stuff and then all of a sudden she's screaming and then we cut inside and these lichens have like already half caught her and it's like what what just happened right. she was just on a motorcycle like where did yeah. all this happen it was just the way they cut that together was really sloppy i felt like they had the two scenes and then had to figure out how to stitch them together with some audio Andy, what you're missing is that the motorcycle Celine was uh, vamp out uh, voiceover Celine. Mm, so the yes. movie hadn't started while she was still in motorcycle <laughs> mode, motorcycle right. Celine mode. Yeah, that's important to know. Yeah. Now it was it was a it was an interesting little vampire thing. I I don't think it's effectively done throughout this franchise, um, but there is something to it uh, that certainly is there. I do think that we, I, I, this was something that I couldn't remember if we had seen. We had the vampires when all of a sudden we have this insanely uh, technical and, and effects-filled training program that they're doing with uh, yeah. these 3D lichens that they're killing and everything. It was just nuts. They have but computers. What, such yeah, computers. Right? I know. But once they're in the cage match, they are actually jump jumping onto the walls and fighting on the walls just like the lichens had been doing since the first film. Yeah, it turns out they're real primitive. 
everybody's real, real primitive. They That's all what we need to get out are of ready to jump on the walls. Yeah. And then extraordinary turn. Extraordinary. Worthy of Shakespeare. Varga. He mm. turns around and assassinates all the soldiers that they're trying to train to be better. And it was all part of the trick. And unfortunately, every single soldier is wearing clothing that burns up with infrared light. <laughs> I can't tell you how stupid this is to me now. I don't even think I, I may not. I'd like to think I would have noticed in, in the first, in the, you know, by the time we get here. But, but now that we talked about it in the second movie, it is so stupid. It so immediately takes me out of the movie that these vampires are wearing clothes that are vampire specific. Why don't they choose to wear the same leather and PVC that non-vampires wear that don't burn up when they get hit with light. I don't understand it. It's ridiculous. It's a little bonkers that 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 still is a thing. I don't know what's going on with that. I'm assuming that their body burns up at such a high temperature that it just burns the clothes too. I don't know. I don't it's love that you spend this much time thinking about it. I don't love that. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, here's another confusion. <laughs> here's here's another element that was very confusing for me because they set up in the lore this whole idea of blood memories, how when a, dra- a yeah. vampire feeds, it will have the memories of you from the blood that it's drinking from you. But apparently it only works when it's from the neck. Is that right? Because we No, <laughs> no because they have taken it from the arm before. Well, or from directly from the body, I should say. Yeah. Because Samira, she bloodlets uh Celine to kind of steal some of her blood so that she can use it because she knows that her blood um allows her to be in the sun. So there's something to her that she's, you know, she's a nefarious character blah blah blah. But here she is. She's she's got Celine trapped. She's bloodletting her and then drinks her blood like a bunch of it out of this vial that she has has saved it up in. Likewise, we have uh, Marius, who's drinking Michael's blood from these little uh, vials that he has been saving. Neither of them um, have blood memories from anybody. And presumably it only works on vampires because these vampires, they're doing nothing but drinking blood. I mean, all these people yeah. they're drinking these blood bags of blood from, like they have bl- no blood memories from anybody else. But remember, a central point of the movie is that David's mom is actually Amelia, and she saved drops of blood as messengers from the past. So you can take a little drink out of the ring of a drop and get all the blood memories you want. So they never explain it, but it makes me start to think maybe you have to choose if you want to access the blood memories and you're a vampire, right? Maybe you can just turn off that receptor and say, I just want to drink the blood for the tasty, tasty iron morsel that it is. And... Uh, I don't want to deal with all the baggage, all the emotional baggage that comes with it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it hurts. It can really hurt sometimes. Uh, love hurts. Love hurts. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating element that unfortunately, just by the introduction of it, they have created so many possibilities that just make it uh, very flimsy. Very, very flimsy. Yeah. And here's another thing. Vampires can heal fast. And the werewolves can too, although in the last film we saw them trying to make it super healing so that they could really heal fast. Sure. But, what, but where is the line drawn, right? Like, 
because I mean, they get injured and it seems like if it's, if it's, if it's a serious enough injury, they can't heal fast enough to recover. But as we learn from the vampire spy who goes into the security room and breaks the person's neck, that person's dead, dead. Like they're not just going to heal that broken neck and be fine, but it doesn't make sense. Uh, Yes. I think there is something in the neck. I think there's something in the neck because we also get when, when uh, David, or is it David or uh, at this point, is it um, Charles Dance, Thomas, Thomas. who, who get, gets the sword through the base of the spine and has the spinal cord severed through the neck? Uh, is that the killing? That's the killing blow. Necks are very sensitive for vampires and to them. <laughs> It's it's strange. Or maybe it's just they lose so much blood from that that they can't heal themselves fast enough. Yeah. See, that was well, my impression. If if they are injured in a way where they're they've lost enough blood, they're not going to be able to heal fast enough unless they get more blood very quickly. But that okay. also it seems like then they should always run around like in still suits yes, full of blood. Blood <laughs> constantly. And how in the world, after they've dehydrated the elders, like shouldn't the elders they've lost a lot of blood there? freaking dehydrated yeah and they they should be be flooded with blood memories too yes right (laughs) all the time (laughs) vampires are really tough to be around in this universe they're just so weighed down with the universe i feel like they all are like beat poets (laughs) they should be just (laughs) wearing black berets and wandering around in all black turtlenecks mock turtlenecks that does get to one of the one of the great uh, visual sequences of just everybody getting shot and everybody pushing bullets out of themselves. I know you're I a big just, fan of that. I, uh, I wrote this in the notes. I'm so tough. I could push bullets out of my body. Oh, yeah. Well, so can I. It's like that's that's pretty much where we've gone by this point. It's yeah. it was it was pretty laughable watching them bullet push battle. <laughs> the bullet push battle. Yeah. That's that's where we are with this movie. I think that uh, let's let's transition to the Arctic. Oh, so the Arctic. I I made a point. No, I enjoy it, it's the yeah. Nordic. The Nordic. It's the Nordic. Sorry. Well, because we have two big we have two evolutions of production design. One is the Nordic coven, and one is we have the coven that we're in, and there are now like alarms, like which is the Eastern coven, the Eastern coven, and and because yeah, the Western coven, as we now know, that's yeah. where we had been. And that one is the one that has been nearly destroyed. And again, because they're calling it that makes me think that it was in North America in in underworldia, but uh, it still doesn't make a lot of sense. And we learned that the Budapest coven was destroyed. Mm-hmm. And now we're in the Eastern coven with amazing fortress protection, the fortress protection, because they have, you know, they have their own siri and all of their like coven home pods <laughs> tell them when it's going to be <laughs> dark and then all the blinds come down the razor blinds does that seem odd though to have your siri give you only a one minute warning <laughs> that's it <laughs> i know you're outside but oh oh no the doors <laughs> are closing that's what i wanted to hear is the their assistants say, oh, doors are closing. Almost, almost, almost. Sorry. <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah, but so I thought some of that was cool. I, I thought the, you know, upgrading the, the castle a little bit with some smart home technology, I thought was, I thought was fun. I, it was the bare, bare minimum that they could have possibly done to actually improve the look and feel of this movie or alter the look and feel of this movie. But then we go and to the spa, the Nordic spa. Did it impact you at all? Interesting shift. Interesting shift. I was a little disappointed that they didn't bring up the whole 30 days of night type of story. The fact that this is so far north that they can roam around for a month at a time you know, in the in the winter because it's constantly winter and it's constantly night. I would have loved for them to even just mention that. I, I was like, why are they so far up in, uh, in a place that's so far north? One, it's nearly impossible to get to. And two, I just kept saying they need blood to eat, though, right? Where do they get all the blood? I to don't eat? know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't. It, it is. They're, They're the, the only, only ones, ones there. there. They just yeah. run sucking on each other's necks, little bites, little snacks, and then they take a spa. Spas are big. It gives you speedy speedy time. They can go into the speed force. <laughs> right? I I well, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say about the in-between place. Well, it's because it's the in-between place. You're not supposed to know what to say about that. I you know what? This this just had this is it, Pete. I, I now understand all of this. This has a crossover, believe it or not, Pete, uh, with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't know when, Andy, but at some point you're going to regret that crossover. <laughs> Someone's going to call you out and you will regret it. <laughs> no, seriously, we have, there's a line in that film. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, what's his name? Gilgood? No, not Gilgood. I get them all. Uh, yeah, John, John Hurt. Hurt. Yeah, crazy John Hurt. Yeah, space. Yeah, and he says they've gone. No. You know, they're not. Yeah, what place? They've gone to the in between yeah. or something like right. that. That's where you go. Yeah. So that's where they're going. They mummify one another and they go so, to the in between place. Yeah. It's like a spa. It's like a, a meditation retreat. And when they come out, their hair has been changed, and they are very speedy. Is that called tipped? tipped? Yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> good. You must have a teenage daughter. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a win for our uh, uh, for Cameron. Yeah, <laughs> there exactly. you go, Cameron. Uh, so th- yes, so now her hair is, and she's very speedy, and she disappears for a lot of the movie when she's dead. Right when she goes into the the in between place. Is it a lot of the movie though? Is it enough of the movie? <laughs> If you're going to the in-between place and you only miss, like, uh, the beginning of the fight, I'm like, I feel like that wasn't maybe enough time to really... Is it much? Because I, I didn't time it, but it felt like a long time she was gone. It's probably two scenes. Well, she... Okay, it happens when she's fighting in the... When the lichens attack the the Nordic fortress. Right. Even though there's this whole thing, oh, they can't come up here. They're warm-blooded. And it's like, well... They clearly proved that wrong. You maybe you should need yeah. to learn a little more of this, like in Up, science. Update your lore. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, have you heard of these things called coats? Yeah, so yeah, have they. They figured it out. Yeah, so they go up there and uh, attack, and he, and Marius finds out from Celine that she 
does not actually know where her daughter is. And, um, you know, the whole reveal that he's drinking Michael's blood, blah, blah, blah. And his vampire girlfriend um, kills Celine and she slips under the ice and freezes herself. And then she's gone. But really, it's just at that point, he howls and all the like and run away. And they go back. And now they're going to get uh, ready their attack on the Eastern Fortress or the Eastern Coven, mm-hmm. which to me, it seems like they do right away. It seems like they come back and get themselves uh, in there and start fighting. And then they have a big fight and David's heading the fight. Uh, and what's her name is being evil, Samira. And then Celine shows up and it's like, okay, so it seems like maybe she's only six hours behind everybody else. Like, uh, yeah. it didn't seem like it was that long. But generations evolved, right? Now she's... She's a super it's, vampire. Are you saying she's like Gandalf the White, where she's, she's been gone Gandalf for for thousands White. of years, flat floating around the universe? Andy. But in our time, it's been that's no the, time at all. That's what you should have led with, not Kingdom of the have. Crystal Skull. She's Gandalf <laughs> the White. She's Celine the White, and now she can kill anybody that she wants, um, except for the tribrid hybrid, easily of Marius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the problem, the problem that I have with that that whole sequence, the melee sequence, is that it's more of the same. And I pointed this out in the first movie that I thought was really frustrating. It's just red shirts against red shirts, right? It's just a, lot, a right, big yeah. brawling sequence. And and there is a, a more wire work in this sequence, but it doesn't really take me any place. It doesn't give me any investment into the scene. And I'm, I struggled with that because at this point, the big final battle, I want to be there. I want to have my, my head and my heart in it. And I just couldn't. I just couldn't. It was too much noise, not enough signal. And I, I feel for the movie in the in this sequence. I really do because I kind of get what it's striving for and that it just resorts to the banal, um, you know, fight exposition is it's a real challenge. It's a real problem. You just by now I expect to be taken to a new place. And every one of these movies has had the banal fight scene that didn't bring us anything really new. I think the third movie was probably the the most interesting of the five me in their final battles just because they've changed perspectives and you already brought up you're now suddenly rooting for the lichens and that's kind of awesome like that's that's a a cool place to be it just to change your perspective a little bit this movie offers us none of that i think a big problem when you're having big fight scenes the critical part that is required in order to get an audience invested in it when you have masses of bodies all fighting each other is you have to know a good number of those people and you have to have established some sympathy for a good number of those people. Lord of the Rings did it exceptionally. We knew a lot of the people who were in those battles and even if we'd only spent a few scenes for them, it was very easy to root for them. You know, we were very excited about seeing seeing them go into battle. Now, I mean, they had... I was going to say they had 12 hours to do it with. I'm like, well, this is five films. They've had plenty of time in their own uh, world to do some other things. And I feel like it probably has been, um, I think it's all Scott Speedman's fault. I don't know why he hasn't been in these last two films. I was just going to ask the same question. Like, that is a major loss. It really is. And if they had brought him in 
and or or a different person. I, I don't care, but just somebody to play that character to be somebody in the fight. If Eve was here, if if other characters if they had left them alive, not just kill everybody all the time, but actually had these characters that we had known and followed over the course of these five films, by the time you're getting to these battles, it's like, oh, I, there's a lot of this. Because in a soap opera, I mean, that's that's what soap operas do well, is there this, there's constantly back and forth with so many different characters. That's also why soap operas, one, don't kill people off right away. And two, when they do, they find ways to bring them back, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what we really needed here is some of these people brought back. So when you're having these big battles, we actually care about a lot of the different people involved. Well, and they tried. I get the feeling that they tried, that they tried to b- bring us a new character in Theo James, somebody new to care about. We had a universal mm-hmm. reset in movie four, and now we have this new you know, young guy, and he's he's going to be the new hero because I, for whatever reason, Speedman's out. Uh, that would have been the int- the story that I'm interested in. I don't think giving us the uh, rags to riches story, right, ascension to the crown story of of David, was enough for me over the course of the last of these last two movies. And I I just don't feel like it was earned. I don't feel like if if that was the story they wanted to tell, it needed to be more than a B or C story. Like having him become yeah. an elder at the end was not enough, right? No, I mean, that, that was not rewarding. Uh, that's the sort of thing that, again, going back to franchises where they really think things out and have all these plans in place, that would have been a great nugget to hide some information of back in the first film when we meet Amelia yes. or something about, you know, I have, you know, the, the the long lost son or something that doesn't necessarily get brought up. But by the time we get to this point, we find some we information that. out about it. Right. Yeah. Right. It was probably in a uh, locket the size of your face that was hanging <laughs> around one of the elders <laughs> necks and is also a vampire throwing star. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's frustrating because, and I think you're right. I think that the team was trying to find ways to to bring interesting things into the lore and find things. Like there's the scene where Thomas is talking to his son about the Battle of the Pest. And you, they're looking at this big uh, kind of painting of this battle. And I was like, okay, the Pest is, I mean, that's, it's the plague. And, so, you know, I was like, are they trying to somehow connect this to the wars in in Camus' book, The Plague? Because that's the title. And I'm like, is there something there that they're trying to say? If so, that could be potentially interesting, but I'm not getting enough of it. And it's, and that's why it's frustrating because I feel like there's some interesting stuff here, but they're not, they're not doing enough with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, just, just a brief note on visual effects, because, you know, we, we've been watching the evolution of these, of the franchise over the course of so many years now. How do you feel like the, uh, the CG hit you? I mean, we have some, some real highlight effect sequences, fewer practical, uh, effects, more CG stuff. What do you think? I thought it was fine. I feel like the lichens always look best when they're fully transformed. Yep. I do feel a lot that the transformations themselves look a little shaky at times, but I don't, I guess I just don't mind it. I, I buy into it enough, you know? Yeah. Um, I, and, uh, you know, the vampires, I mean, we just have Celine kind of running really fast now. I don't think there's a lot of interesting new effects with her otherwise. I, I think largely it's just the lichens. And I think that they, they are as effective as they have been these past few films. 
You know what we don't get a lot of? As much as we get full transformation of the lichens, we don't get a lot of uh, effort to demonstrate any sort of tooth morphing. And I kind no. of, I kind of expect that in a vampire movie. I kind of expect to be able to go in and and have those close ups of somebody saying something threatening while their teeth elongate, and we get none of yeah. that. Um, no, I didn't find myself missing it until the fifth movie. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, it is a weird thing. I I, I don't really. I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know. And I still don't know, like, why are we 12 years in the future? Because nothing feels changed. It right. feels... Right. And I just wish that that was something that they gave us more from the previous film. And I know, I mean, if we look back 12 years, it doesn't feel like all of a sudden the futuristic, you know? Yeah, it's, right. It's let, me, like let me go get in changed. my flying car right now and just see how right. things have changed, right? Exactly. But I just feel like... I, I just don't feel like these past two films, they've done anything to signal... A change. If anything, a lot of the elements feel like they've gone backward, like the train that they take to get up north. It's like, yeah. hmm, okay. Right, right. Yeah. You want to talk about getting it made? I don't have a lot of uh, history with this one as far as the backstory, other than, you know, by 2014, Lakeshore Entertainment was actually wanting to reboot the franchise. They were going to kick it off and start it all over again. They brought in a writer. And started working on it. and But then they decided, you know what? Let's not do a reboot. Let's just make a fifth film. And it was going to be called Underworld Next Generation. That would have been Kate weird. Beckinsale. That would have been weird. I would have expected uh, Picard yeah. to be in there or something. Uh, Kate Beckinsale was set to reprise, uh, which is interesting. If it was called Underworld Next Generation, it seems like it was going to be focused on her daughter when you hear the title. But hearing the Kate Beckinsale's, and it's like, oh, okay, why is it called Next Generation then? Who knows? Uh, why are half these films called what they are? She's right? prob- maybe she's really old now. Maybe it's like 700 years in the future or 1,000, 7,000 yeah. years. Right. Maybe. And her daughter's finally entered her teenage years. Yeah. <laughs> she's 16. <laughs> uh, but um, they had everything on. And it sounds like actually Theo James was set to be the new lead of the film. But they they had to bring it back because, as he said, uh, my involvement in this, I think it's going to be very difficult to do that with the Divergent movies and my other commitments. So it sounds like he might have actually had a bigger part initially. And then they kind of had to cut it back because of those. So that uh, and then brought Celine forward more. That is a shame. That's a crime. Yeah, shame. That's, that, that's because that's an interesting yeah. thing how how the practicalities of making movies directly impacts the story. I mean, you never know. Maybe they're out there and they have the the perfect story right in their hands, and they just they lost it because of because of actors and commitments. And it's and it's clear that with the third film, this isn't really intended to be Celine's story. Yes, even though. Uh, even though they largely have left it just Celine's story through the first or first two and the last two films. So with that third film, I thought, I, I felt like, you know what, they should be freer to shake things up a little bit. Uh, obviously, Kate Beckinsale in the lead makes them a lot of money, so I can see why they went back to that. But I don't know why they haven't felt, you know what, we can change things and shake things up a little bit and maybe, you know, follow... Uh, Eve now as she's kind of uh, the new lead or something, yeah, you know? Yeah. You know, that that's a great point because it just, the, the movie should have had a clearer transition of character, right? We we should have had a yeah. clearer transition. That's a, I think that's a big miss. Well, it really feels like at the end, they're setting it up because you have her out there on the ice and, and you see, I don't know if it's her daughter or just kind of a imagined daughter, but she's like, there is only 
The Coming. And it was like, okay, if that's not the title of the sixth film, I don't know what is, right? But uh, like it totally sets it up that way. And then, uh, but according to Kate Beckinsale, they're done. She's done. Len Wiseman said they were going to do a TV show at one point and then that they were going to do a sixth film with Celine or with uh, Kate Beckinsale back in. But then Kate Beckinsale came out and said, nope, I wouldn't return. I've done plenty of those. So if it is the coming, if that's the next film, maybe it is just Eve and it's going to be a story that finally you know, ties the lichens and vampires together. I just don't know. The uh, uh, director behind this is Anna Forster, and uh, yeah. she started her career in visual effects and cinematography and uh, was the director of photography as recent as 2013 for White House Down and uh, Anonymous. Uh, also, she is announced as upcoming director of uh, Source Code 2, which is wow. actually just Source Code 1, but they mirror reverse it. You just watch it again. <laughs> uh, it's really, yeah, it's great. Um, this was, was this her first feature? I think it was. She's done it a was. lot of TV and she has dipped her toes into many of the, uh, of, of some of my, uh, not many, maybe not many, but some of my very favorites. I was a big fan of the procedural criminal minds for a long time. And she, she had a hand in, in some of the episodes of, uh, criminal minds. Um, I'm not, uh, I, I don't know. Unforgettable. That was new to me. Army wives, Madam secretaries, uh, solid show. She did an episode of that outlander. I don't know outlander, but she had four episodes to credit on that one. It's Jessica got Jones. its own big following. That's yeah, for sure. Big following. Uh, Jessica Jones. She did the start at nice. the beginning episode, uh, 2018. And she did the genre episode, which was quite good of Westworld. Uh, and so, you know, the, I, I, as a director, she's a, clearly a visual director. This still reads to me as an episode that was handed to her with elements that must be fulfilled. And I, I don't, I just don't see a lot of directorial innovation. No, I don't either. I mean, I, I mean, she has, I mean, she's worked a lot with Roland Emmerich on big films like Day after Independence Day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she definitely has a sense about how to work with visuals and scope. And I think you get that in this film, like just all the stuff up north in the Nordic uh, fortress. I feel like there is some of that. Um, and I didn't feel, you know, nothing felt sloppy like the third film did, you know, mm -hmm. for another first time director. I thought she actually handled it pretty well. But yeah, she's not... Um, I don't I don't know, honestly, how much say she had in the script. But uh, I mean, that is one thing that definitely caught my eye with the production team on this one is that pretty much everybody is new. Like we don't have uh, any of our three, Len Wiseman, Danny McBride or Kevin Grevio doing any part of the story or screenplay on this at all. Totally different people, Kyle Ward and Corey Goodman. Mm -hmm. And the different um, musician, uh, cinematography, editing, production design, uh, art direction, set decoration, costume design, uh, hair, makeup, uh, everything's different. I think the special effects, the that team might be the only people ported over from the last film. So I, I don't know. I guess having seen that, I was – I didn't feel bothered that it felt – the same because there were elements that felt a little a little different, like you were saying. Um, yeah. But I would have really appreciated them bringing even more to the table. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but hats off to Anna Forster for wrapping up the fifth movie. It's uh, clearly she she's she's able to 
practically and pragmatically deliver a feature film. And uh, she's she at least understands the universe that she was handed, um, which is which is a lot. Um, anybody in the cast besides the two we've talked about, Kate and Theo? No, I mean, I thought everyone was fine. I, um, Marius is played by Tobias Menzies, who's certainly a familiar face that I've seen in a number of things before. I thought he was fine, but again, it's like, uh, I wish he had more to do here. It's just like, I felt like they were setting up an interesting story with him. And in the end, it's just, he killed Michael and is drinking his blood. And that was it. Yep. Yep. (laughs) It's like, "Eh, that's all. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, you know, Bradley James, he's been in a bunch of stuff and, uh, he, you know, he was the, he was Arthur in the Merlin show, the BBC, uh, Merlin, uh, take from, that ran from 2008, 2012. And he was really great. Like we are, we are all as a family, we're real fans of him. And so seeing in this, seeing him in this movie, I'd forgotten he was in it. And, uh, it, it was actually, it was really fun to see him, uh, in this role because usually he's, you know dressed as a king and carrying a sword and now he's dressed as a vampire and carrying a gun and a sword um but uh, <laughs> but i thought it was very cool as the sort of evil hand of the queen i i think he did a fine job i i kind of liked his understated betrayal of her at the end to to serve the coven uh the the to serve the coven yeah. line i thought was really nice um so he was he was sharp i thought he was good <laughs> But again, it was one of those things where I'm like, couldn't they have given us something more with that? You know, because I felt like by the time it happens, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I didn't have much from that, but okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Laura Adler uh, or Laura Pulver uh, plays the the role of Irene Adler in Sherlock. So we've we've known her for a while. This is the, another BBC, uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, Sherlock. And uh, she's great in there. She was also Karen Lord in Edge of Tomorrow. So we've seen her there. She's in Electric Dreams on Amazon, which is terrific. Um, and uh, uh, she comes in and out, it looks like, of The Alienist, which I've never watched. I've heard great, great things about uh, The Alienist, Angel of Darkness. Uh, so she's she's kind of all over the place. She's another one of those faces that, um, you know, that that really sort of shines. In this movie, she's a rather predictable narcissistic bad bad guy (laughs) yeah and again like there is something potentially interesting with these people if only they had allowed the story to be a more grand story kind of weave these like why haven't we met these people in past films right i mean they're all part of the vampire council they're all these different covens and stuff why couldn't we have found a way to weave it together better but has Charles Dance lost the lisp, Andy? Well, I think the question is, did they realize that they can't put vampire teeth in Charles Dance? Because <laughs> I don't recall him having the vampire teeth once. here. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. No. And we have a James Faulkner who also is poorly used. Oh, so poorly used. He's such a good looking bad guy. And they just make him the elder on the counselor council. And at minute 17, we meet him and we immediately know he is uh, not going to do very well for this. A lot of the cast was also in Game of Thrones, obviously, Charles Dance, um, and uh, as well as. Um, uh, Menzies, Tobias Menzies, and um, 
this uh, James Faulkner is uh, also in his usual Randall Tarley. And uh, so this is a this is a big Game of Thrones. There's a big re- underworld reunion, I guess we can say. Definitely. Who was the, was it um, Vidar, Peter Anderson, I thought yeah. was another one that, you know, he had an interesting face. He was the one who was the, I guess, head of the Nordic fortress. I was never clear, is this its own coven? But they just called it the fortress. So I'm like, maybe it's just part of another coven. I don't know. But did you know, did seen, you know who he was when you watched it, when you saw I, him appear? I didn't because he was such a benevolent, kind person. Never would I have guessed that he played Nils Bjorman in the Dragon Tattoo uh, trilogy, the original films, as the horrible, horrible person who abuses um, Lisbeth Salander. Yeah, he was. He is He's given so little to do, though. Great. And it was, uh, he is great. It was a real shame. It was a real shame. A real shame. Uh, yeah. So I think the the last no that was it no and then we also have Daisy Head who plays the um is the the, the turn, spy turncoat spy and yeah uh, she's she's not really a spy she's definitely a turncoat she's yeah. a turncoat yeah she's a turncoat and uh, she's fine she's in the TV show or the TV series uh, Shadow and Bone which was based on a book that my kids read which supposedly was good I hmm. don't don't know much of it but apparently it was something. And she was she played Christiana in Ophelia, which was a uh, trailer yeah, pick. We talked about that on the trailer. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, so there we go. Hmm. Anybody else hot on your list? Nah. All right. I, I mean, I thought they were fine. I just yeah. wish that these characters had been written better. So it was a more uh, robust world worth caring about. Michael Vondmacher did the music. Uh, another new person for us. Yes. So um, uh, this is the third person in this franchise. And, you know, I thought he was fine. It's, you know, again, I don't think any of the music really stands out in any of these films. Um, but I think what he does works fine for the universe, you know. Yep. Me too. A lot of credits, 60 credits. Uh, you have seen yeah. movies that uh, Von Mocker has oh, done. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and then we had Carl Walter Lindenlaub as the cinematographer. Uh, Peter Amundsen, he actually has returned. He was an editor, I think, of the third film. And, you know, a lot – then we get to – I mean, this was filmed in, in, I believe, the Czech Republic. And we have uh, Andre Nekvasil as the production designer, Beatrice Bretnerova as the as set decorations, and Stefan Kovacic and Martin Vakar as the art directors, and Bojana Nikitovic as the costume designer. So I feel like, yeah, they, they latched onto a lot of people probably locally. Um, yeah. I'm sure they are, are quality people who have done plenty of projects and in their areas. And, uh, but it's also, you start seeing that and it's like, well, I'm sure that there was something involving tax credits. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. But what they did do was deliver an underworld movie. And that's, yeah. how can you, how can you complain about that? All right. Sequels and remakes, we already sort of introduced that. Do we have uh, any anything coming in this universe anymore? Animated stuff? What do we got? I, I have heard of nothing else. The TV series that uh, Len Wiseman had talked about, um, that was back in 2016, right when this came out. I have heard nothing more about uh, any Underworld TV properties. I And then, you know, since... Um, Kate Beckinsale said she's not going to appear in sixth film. I've heard nothing about any more of those either. So I don't know. But, you know, every three to four years, they seem to be coming out with another one. Uh, so, I mean, they're certainly due for one. 
but I feel like we would have heard about it. So it could be one of those things where if it pops up, it'll be in a few more years and a whole new team of people. Well, let's talk about all the awards at one. Let's. Okay, next. <laughs> How to do at the box office. Well, Forster's entry in the franchise cost $35 million to make, or $36.4 million in today's dollars, making it the second cheapest entry after the original film. Blood Wars opened domestically on January 6, 2017, after some international releases as early as November 2016. It was the only major release uh, when it opened here in the U.S., but it could only get as high as number four because, of course, the glut of holiday releases still filling the theaters. In fourth place uh, is where it opened behind Hidden Figures, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and Sing. This one went on to earn $30.3 million domestically and $50.8 million internationally for a total gross of $84.4 million with an adjusted profit per finish made of $528,000. That makes it the smallest grossing film in the franchise, and perhaps maybe that's why there have been no more entries yet. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, people were not—they uh, did not flock to the theater for this one— well, as much. I mean, it as still much, made yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should, you know, let's 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 put a stake in it, Andy. Let's put a stake in it, or 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 what else do we do? We spray its face with silver, the silver <laughs> dust. Whip it with a silver I don't think uh, that's flog. A, that's not a thing yet. But if we work hard enough, <laughs> we can make it so. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this very show. If you swipe over in your show notes and tap the word flickchart, it will take you to this movie in the flickchart catalog where you can add it to your list and see how it stacks up against ours. First up, Underworld, Blood Wars, or The Birdcage? The Birdcage. The Birdcage. Underworld, Blood Wars, or The Lonely Guy? I was just thinking about this the other day because I just remembered what his, he has his dog and his dog just like always runs right off. Um, I'll say the lonely guy. Yeah. That I, Charles Grodin. I don't know. Charles Grodin, I guess, would be the way to, to do it. Just so dissatisfied how that movie ended. Yeah, it's it's a problematic film, but uh, All right. I, All right. I still guy. pick it. All right. Underworld Blood Wars or The Emigrants. Oh, I'll take The Emigrants for sure. I know. I know you will. <laughs> uh, I'll take the immigrants too, but uh, I would watch this first. Yeah. Underworld Blood Wars or next Friday? Nope. Underworld Blood Wars. I will take Underworld Blood Wars. Underworld Blood Wars or The Blob, 1958. The Blob. I am fine with The Blob. I would take Blood Wars. Really? Yeah. I'm like six of one, half dozen of the other here, though. I think I probably am, too. I'll give it to you, because I just don't care. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're at that point. We're at that point. Underworld Blood Wars or Christmas in Connecticut? Christmas in Connecticut. Christmas in Connecticut, please. Underworld Blood Wars or Underworld Evolution? Okay. I think I, think I have to rate this on title alone, because... We don't know anything uh, about evolu- evolving, but we do know there was, in fact, a war of blood. Because there's so much blood, and they're clearly at war. This is possibly the most apt title after the first one, which, frankly, is not apt. <laughs> I guess the third one is is probably the best of the titles, but this one, we have blood. 
we have war and it's in the underworld. I'm going to go with blood war. I okay, interesting interesting uh way to get there. I feel like boy, I mean now that you put it that way, I have to debate my own <laughs> uh sensibilities with this one because yeah, I'm like the second one has a lot of problems, but I felt like I enjoyed the second one more than this one, even though this one may Snow be Celine, a little more though? logical. Snow Celine, Andy. Yeah, but we also have the Batman, Ugh. which I did kind of enjoy. Yeah, I know you did. But we have I, half, half Wolfman hand, half Wolf hand man. I'm going to stick with evolution because I feel like they hadn't taken it so far where they just kept breaking things. I'm going to take evolution. All right. All right. I'll I'll, uh, I'll take you to the mat on this one. Let's see what happens. Let's, Let's see it. what the fates okay. say. Let's do it. All, All right. right. One, one, two, two three, three. Scissors. 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 Rock. I get every time. Statistically, I'll bet that's always <laughs> both of our second move. And I never learn. <laughs> I never learn. You don't. Underworld Blood Wars or the best little whorehouse in Texas. Um, We've, we talked about this on one of the other ones because it's like maybe, you know, they're all vampires. They're all vampires and that's just not the story that they're telling. I will take best little whorehouse. Is that what you said last time? No. That was Underworld Evolution, I think. And I said under, Underworld Evolution. I'm going to say Underworld Blood Wars. <laughs> okay. Well, here we go. <laughs> Uh -huh. One, One, two, two three. three. Paper. Paper. Rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Underworld Blood Wars takes it. Underworld Blood Wars are certain women. I will take certain women. I will take Underworld Blood Wars three times. <laughs> if they if this certain women was about lichens, it would have to just be called certain woman. <laughs> <laughs> Just clarify. Are you proud of yourself for that joke? I am very proud of that joke. One, One two, two, three. three. Scissors. Scissors. Paper. Paper. Scissors. Scissors. Rock. Paper. <laughs> okay. You deserve that. All right. Certain Women takes it. That leaves Underworld Blood Wars in spot 436 on our chart. 436 out of 483 or a low 10%. Okay, so how'd it do on your list, Andy? It did slightly better. It landed in spot 38.93 out of 45.28, or a 14%. That is slightly better. It, it did, uh, it I will slightly. say, a lot better on my list. It landed at 8.98 out of 14.79, which is a 39, a whopping 39%. Wow. If I'm to take this, the what the algorithm says over at letterbox.com, slash the next reel, this movie should come in at a two-star for me. I gather it is less than a two-star for you. Is that true? No, it is right at two stars. Two stars and a heart, just like the last yeah. film. I, I feel like these two were kind of on par. I enjoyed them in their crappiness. Yeah, no, I'm two stars. I'll give it a heart, too. I, I actually, I, I think I have a greater affinity for this movie because it's more of the underdog. So to speak. Sorry, Lycans. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the next one needs to be called. Underworld, the underdogs. The underdogs, yeah. Uh, so that's oh. it. We did it. We did the whole thing. We did all five of the Underworld movies. Andy, are we done with the podcast? <laughs> We've peaked, Pete. We really have peaked. We have, we have maxed out. Uh, we don't need to do any more. 
No, honestly, uh, this is exciting because this is the end of the year and we're kicking off our 2021 slate. We've we've posted the list over on our watch list on our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash the next reel. You can see all the films we're going to be talking about in the first half of 2021, which is a number of really interesting series kicking off with a series of your design, which I'm very excited to jump into, of Russian science fiction films. We're starting it off with Dead Mountaineers Hotel from 1979. Then we'll be looking at To the Stars by Hard Ways from 1980 and ending with City Zero from 1988. I want to throw out there as you plug that series, my very special thanks to our next, our next really, next really uh, community <laughs> member, uh, Nick Langdon, who is a real aficionado of these films and, and uh, helped me work through the list. I'm very excited about these three. And uh, can't wait to get all you to of watch which them. I think you pointed out are pretty yeah. available on YouTube. It, this was a thing that Nick pointed me to that the copyright is of some question with a lot of these Russian films, and so they are not being taken down aggressively uh, when they are posted up on YouTube. And so the quality is fair and fair to better, and you can access them all on YouTube. So we will post links to them as we get to them in our. Um, We'll post them in the community uh, as we post our live streams. We'll we'll post where you can watch the movies, too. Fantastic. All right. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon always doeth. Yeah, it does sometimes. But I stayed with the kids over at Common Sense Media. I did. The kids are adorable. Once again, the uh, Common Sense says this is a 17 and up movie. Parents also say this is a 17 and up movie. The kids say it's a 14 and up movie. So the kids, they're less interested in what the parents have to say. Surprising no one. All right. And the parents are more interested in what Common Sense has to say, that's which right. might be a first. That's, that's right. Uh, I, I have a 14-year-old who has written uh, that this movie is good for 13 and up. So 14 years old, 13 and up. The headline is, all caps, with the letters, the kerning adjusted so the letters are far apart, take a chill pill. It gives mm. you the feeling that maybe this 14-year-old has at times been told to stop watching that thing right now. And they would like their parents to stop telling them to stop watching this thing right now. Uh, so take, take take a chill a pill. Chill but pill. only gives this movie three stars. Mm. This film has got some gory elements, but it's not the worst. If you're 13 and don't like blood, there may be some parts where you look away, but overall it's not too violent. However, if you're a young addict of horror or blood... And you just want to try mm. to watch your first scary film? This is a good All place those to young start. Addicts of blood. Such addicts of blood. This is a good place to start with little to no jump scares, but an ever-changing plot and some good old blood. This mm. title contains sexy stuff, which is what got me wondering: <laughs> Was there actually sexy stuff in this movie? Like sexy yeah, stuff? Just- Maybe so a lot of pining. There was a lot of pining, and maybe the Unless others. Unless you count yeah. Samira's outfit, she was wearing so a rather re- revealing sort of outfit. Yes, always sexy. But I don't but, think Samira yeah. would have been the one that they were sexy stuffing. Well, 
No, she does, actually. Remember, now that I'm thinking about it, she takes her slave boy and she drops does. his head to her crotch. She does. She yeah. does. You're right. There is some sexy yeah. stuff. Nice yeah. catch, 14-year-old reviewer. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> what do you got? Well, I've got a five star by Kalani. Five stars, Pete. Five stars. I'm just going to re- reiterate. Five stars. Do it. And it says, thank you. Her or his review says, awesome. Haven't seen it yet, but I know it's going to be good. I watched the clips on YouTube, so I know this movie is going to be good like the rest of the Underworld series. Five stars. Haven't seen it yet. Well, it's like how <laughs> most of the internet reviews stuff. <laughs> That's... Yeah, there lies the problem. <laughs> Thanks for exactly nothing, Amazon. Thanks for nothing. Verified review. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. That's right. Thanks, Amazon. Bye. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>